You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hey Liam, Halloween's coming up. Uh, we should do uh, Christine. What do you think about that? Well, what's what's wrong with Christine? No, you know, it's a little rough around the edges. I, I don't think so. John Carpenter's a genius. You've, you've always been jealous of Christine, haven't you? You've always hated Christine. I, not really. I actually hadn't watched it. No, I can tell. I can tell. You're just jealous of what I share with that very special movie. And you know what? No, I won't, I won't have it, Greg. I won't have it. In fact, for you, for you, I have some notes. Welcome everyone to I Have Some Notes, the podcast where we clean up old cinematic junkers and let them run roughshod over your podcast feed. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are joined once again by our wonderful guest, Glenna Showalter. Glenna is a master's student of media and cultural studies, a horror fan, and a comedian. Thank you, Glenna, for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Welcome back. Yeah, it's it's it feels like it's it was just yesterday that I was here talking about Dungeons and Dragons. And <laughs> Very nearly, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it was pointed out that you are actually literally an expert in horror films, and we were looking at doing a horror film coming up. Yeah, that's right. I'm writing my thesis about uh, the horror fantasy TV show Supernatural, and that required me to do a lot of research into horror movies as a whole. Fun. Yeah. Too bad we didn't pick a horror movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, snap. Yeah, we're talking about Christine. Uh, if the uh, podcast uh, episode title uh, hadn't tipped you off, this is the part where I introduce the film we're doing. Christine, uh, technically a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, this was my first time with this film. Uh, how, about, how about the rest of you? I yeah, mine had, too. Ne- yeah, ditto. Never seen it before. Uh, familiar Hi. with the story, obviously, because it's a classic but uh, had never actually sat down and watched it before. Uh, Cr- uh, Glenna? Christine was actually the first horror movie I ever saw. Uh, oh, far out. When I was uh, a teenager, I read the novel, and then I was like, I, I want to watch the movie, but I was a uh, real Freddy cat as a kid, and I mean, I still am, to be honest. Uh, but I looked up the like the parents' guide on IMDb, and they talked about how, like, this movie should really be rated PG-13, if not for all the swearing. And then I was like, okay, I think I can handle this one. <laughs> They're not nice. They're not wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of yeah. gore or anything like that. Can I ask you guys, um, sorry, you folks, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Not all guys here. Uh, after finishing this and, and and being a little upset that I had watched it, I went back and looked through uh, John Carpenter's filmography, and like I kind of thought, like I like John Carpenter a lot as a director. And then I went through his his uh, filmography, and I realized I really haven't seen many of his movies. Like I've seen. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China and The Thing, of course, and Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. Um, but that's kind of it. And there's so many other John Carpenter movies out there. You've never seen They Live? No, I haven't. Oh, dude, it's so good. It, this Watching this whole movie just made me want to watch They Live again. Well, Scott, what's your relationship with, uh, with John Carpenter? Uh, John Carpenter is a very competent horror director. And he is not the weak link in this movie. I'm just going to put <laughs> that, that out. That's there. fair, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Glenna, favorite favorite Carpenter flick? Uh, to be honest, this is the only one that I've seen. Uh, like I said, I... Oh, I st- Glenna, Glenna, you need to see The Thing. Oh, I know. Glenna. I know I need to see The Thing. And I know I need to see Halloween. Like, they're on my list for sure. I'll, I'll cop to this. I just pulled I just pulled the movie snob bullshit thing where I'm like, Greg, you've never seen They Live? Blah. I've never seen The Thing. So, oh, you both uh, need to get on there. It's, <laughs> yeah, uh, in, in my opinion, like, and be, this is Halloween time. In my opinion, it's probably the best monster movie ever made. 
yeah that's what i've that's what i've heard and then it and now it's like up on a pedestal of like almost like a chore even though i know it'll be good <laughs> if i like it it's just like i've walking around with this silent shame <laughs> unpopular opinion i also like the thing the 2011 remake slash sequel with mary elizabeth weinstead you know you you're allowed to like fine delicious cakes and also a McCain frozen deep and delicious cake at the same time. <laughs> it's it's okay to like those two things. That's that I'm was saying. a that was an absolutely um, devastating way to throw shade on it, but also be entirely <laughs> accurate about what that movie is all about. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, uh, I think we're all going to walk away uh, richer having uh, taken in more of the John Carpenter uh, oeuvre. Uh, but uh, for today, we were talking Christine, uh, which, of course, directed by John Carpenter, written by Stephen King, or at least the novel uh, it's based on. Uh, Bill Phillips wrote the wrote the script. Uh, we got uh, Keith Gordon, John Stockwell, and Alexandra Paul as the three main uh, youngsters in this uh, film. Youngsters, quote unquote. Yeah, they're, the the bully looked like literally just an adult. Yeah, man. He, he looked like he was in his thirties. <laughs> He looked like John Travolta. Like, he looked just like... His sideburns were something else. Did did anyone notice that um, one of the bullies was the kid uh, from the beginning of Ghostbusters that was getting the electric shocks? No. I, 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 it was the, he had kind of like the really, really frizzy hair, and I lost my mind when I saw him. Oh, is he oh, just the, like one of those that guy big yeah. part guys? Yeah. Nice. That's funny. But also Harry Dean, Harry Dean Stanton's in it. Yeah, I was waiting for him to show up because I saw his name in the credits and I'm like, oh, that'll be that'll be a nice nice uh, surprise when he rolls up on screen. And yeah, of course, he's the, the hard-boiled detective. Now, who seems, who seems at the end, I'm just going to point out, pretty down with the idea that the car was committing murders. Because at the end, they're all looking at the crushed car, and he's just like, yep, that car's not going to kill anybody else. And, like, at what point did he buy into this? I I don't understand. I feel like this movie had a lot of scenes that were either left on the cutting room floor, or someone decided, like, eh, we don't need this exposition, that's okay. Yeah, I'd agree. There's a, there's a couple that are kind of like like scenes that really jump all over the place. Like when they when he's near the end when Dennis and Arnie are driving together and it's like Ar- Arnie's clearly like over the edge. And then the next scene is daylight. Like literally Dennis is like I'm scared. I fear for my safety. And then the next scene is daylight and he's carving something into the car. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, so he's he's safe. Okay, he was safe. Like <laughs> And I, I felt like there wasn't really like I, I mean before I'm obviously we gotta get into the weeds of the movie but like that that particular jump in scenes was so jarring because I didn't know what his purpose of carving a message in the car was and what he was trying to do it yeah uh, we I think we've kind of gotten a little ahead of ourselves though and and started to get into things that we liked and disliked about the movie. Of course, yeah. Let's uh, let's hear from the from the trailer and uh, go to our plot summary. I saw you guys at the football game. How'd you forget that car fix stuff like that? Oh, this plain old fashioned hard work. Huh? Ever since he bought that car, he's been obsessed with it. And you know what else? They told us the man who owned that car last died in it. What do you know about that car? I know that the guy who owned the car before Arnie, his daughter choked to death in Christine. It's that car. I swear it's the car. How's Christine coming? Oh, Cherry. That's funny, you know, because I, I heard she was total. Well, after I cleaned up the broken glass, it wasn't so bad. So what if you, you fix it up, you know, and he just comes back and does it again? He won't do it again. Arnie Cunningham is a spindly pocket square nerd who is routinely bullied and laments his inability to make sex with the ladies. 
Maybe it's because he's shy, or maybe it's because of his borderline sexually harassing behavior. Who can say? After an awful day of being bullied, Arnie and his best friend Dennis drive past a rusty old Plymouth Fury for sale, and Arnie is instantly in love. Arnie becomes more of a jerk the longer he works on the car named Christine. Of course, now that he's a jerk, Arnie suddenly has a girlfriend because the screenwriters understand how women work. His relationship with Lee doesn't last long, however, because the car is haunted, you see. Haunted and jealous. Using the power of beef, apparently, Christine attempts to make Lee choke on her hamburger. Having failed at homicide, Christine goes on a murderous revenge tour killing all of Arnie's bullies. Dennis and Lee must now team up to stop Christine and save Arnie from the darkness of his devil car. Yeah, that uh, certainly uh, sums, sums up the plot, and uh, that was about as uh, exciting as uh, I'd say this movie was. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I... I just want to say I also think I perfectly nailed the tone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I I I agree, Liam. That um, this movie was a little bit on the on the dull side for me. Like aside from aside from a cool a couple of really cool special effects moments and um, some pretty good character development, I think with uh, Arnie Cunningham, I was mostly bored. Particularly with the climax. That climax was one of the most boring things I've ever seen. It was so slow and uninteresting, and um, I didn't feel the stakes of it at all. Yeah, for the amount of praise that some of our viewers were giving this film, it's very fine. Like, it's just fine. It's, yeah. it's 2.5 out of 5 stars. It's competent and okay. Glenna, how was this on a, on a rewatch? Um... It was about the same, to be totally honest. Uh, I got the, the the feeling like I remembered certain sequences, like the uh, like the car fixing itself, for example, is a pretty cool sequence that I remembered. Yep. I remembered the old man who sold the car. He was mm-hmm. that's the same old man who was uh, home al- the Home Alone kid's neighbor. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, the the creepy neighbor with the shovel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Same actor. Same actor. Oh, there you go. Did, did anyone figure out what he was wearing? Some yeah. sort of back brace, I guess? Yeah, some kind of harness? I don't know. Yeah, it, it definitely looked like... like it, It's not so much that it, it was confusing what it was, because it was clearly some kind of like back brace or harness, but kind of why was never really... And not that you need to go into it. It was just such a such a specific thing. For, like, a character to have and have no one address or acknowledge or even, like, physicalize. Like, he was walking around all fine. Mm-hmm. Like, he wasn't like, oh, sorry, gonna be slow getting up. The old back brace. Like. Yeah, I like, I understand that they wanted him to f- appear strange in some way. But, yeah, it uh, it was. <laughs> you definitely Classic take notice horror, of it. Horror movie ableism. Maybe not in the in the best way. Yeah. Just like <laughs> guy, guy sells you a cursed monkey pod. He's in an iron lung, and it just never is brought up. <laughs> like, are you are you in the iron lung because of the monkey pod? No, I just had childhood polio. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes! Totally unrelated. Yeah, it, it definitely like it, like we were saying in the beginning. It's a it's a competently put together film. Like it, you know, it like the direction is good. The characters are good. Like John Carpenter knows what he's doing, but. I just feel like maybe there wasn't a whole a whole lot to work with. Yeah, I feel like the story is is what's holding the movie back. It's it's almost there. It's just not quite all the way there. Which is, I remember really liking the novel when I read it. Um, has have anyone else read the novel, Christine? Alas, it is not one of the Stephen King novels that I have read. The novel is cut up into three parts. Uh, the first and third part are told from Dennis's perspective, and the the middle part is like an omniscient narrator who's talking about Arnie and Lee and all that stuff. Uh, and they also each chapter starts off with quotes from a rock song. The first section is teen car songs. The second section is teen love songs, and the third section is teen death songs. Mm. So it's sort of like divided into this structure. And what I think the book spend a lot of time exploring the relationships these characters have with each other and I don't think the movie really did that yeah because at the end of the day this is a movie about a toxic relationship Mm -hmm. and the damage it doesn't 
it that it not only does to Arnie, but that it does to all the people around him. And the movie doesn't quite cover the distance, whereas it's sounding like maybe the book kind of does. That was my impression that the book really went into like I thought I thought Arnie's transformation happened really fast in the movie. We didn't get a lot of who he was before Christine. Uh, and it kind of goes from zero to a hundred really quickly, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. in the book, it was much more gradual. Yeah, that that uh, sort of was my takeaway as well, just from watching this. Where it's like, not not a lot of why either. Like he just sort of is like, book like I, I, we don't. Yeah, we don't have a lot to check against. Like we don't have his normal mm-hmm. to like see what a big jerk he's becoming. I don't know if I entirely agree with that. I mean, there's there's you know a good long scene with him um, chatting with Dennis, uh, and then we get the whole school sequence where you get an idea That's of a, who he is, and then the and then the fair. bullying sequence as well, right? So I think it's I think it laid the the groundwork fairly well. Um, I, I think to Glenna's point, um, when it does when he does get christine like um it feels like it feels like that we don't get a lot of there's almost like a gap between um as it switches back to dennis for a little bit and there's a sort of like a gap between him fixing the car up and then suddenly he's with lee at the football game and there's not a ton of it in between where he's where you're getting this transformation yeah, because I thought we were gonna some... see him as like a fucking like greaser guy or something like that, where he's just like, "Hey, yo, oh, hey, like I'm a cool guy now," you know. I think that's sort of more what I was referring to than like full on like not knowing. Like, it, it, yeah, I think I had phrased it as like you don't get any of him is normal to compare it to. I guess I more mean like there's like gradual steps. Yeah, I I, I think I'm glad Glenna that you brought up the structure of the book because I I, mm-hmm. I feel like that illuminates maybe one of the fairly major flaws of the film because there's this kind of this this at the moment where Dennis um sees Arnie with uh Lee and then he gets knocked out in the football game um he's kind of written out of the movie for what feels like almost the entire second act except for mm-hmm. occasionally when when uh, Arnie goes back to see him and says some creepy shit to him or whatever um but by the time we get back to to Dennis, um, there seems to be a whole relationship between him and Lee that we didn't get to see happen uh, or develop. It killed the climax for me because um, I didn't feel I didn't feel their friendship or their uh, I didn't uh, feel Lee's relationship so much to Arnie either. Like the the motivation for her to to risk as much as she was risking. Uh, for Arnie didn't seem uh, didn't seem to coalesce for me. Yeah, no, I th- I think in general, the relationships were kind of swept under the rug, uh, or just swept off to the side in this film. And here's the thing: my instinct is to say that they swept the relationships and the character development aside to focus on the cool car killing people scenes, but that didn't go far enough. Mm-hmm. Like they're again, it's competently shot. John Carpenter is a good director; he's good with practical effects. But like, if you're going to cut down on the character stuff so that you can have uh, an evil car run down a bunch of teenagers, have the evil car run down more teenagers, mm-hmm. and and maybe have the evil car run. And maybe this is me spoiling a little bit of where I'm going to go with some of my changes in the second half. But maybe have the car run down some teenagers who don't deserve it. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a fair uh, takeaway. What uh, we're we're kind of dumping on this movie, but I didn't totally hate it. Like no. I actually I, I fully expected to do the thing I often do, which is watch a movie in two halves because I have the tension span of a goldfish. Um, but I was like, no, I'm into this. I'm gonna keep just watching it, and I watched it all the way through. And like at no point was I like checking to see how much you know movie was left. Like some of the movies we watch. Um, <laughs> uh, so what what would be some of the things you would keep? Like what did you what did you like about this? Uh, I really liked the effects. I'll I'll say that. Uh, yeah, they must definitely. have had a bunch of cars. <laughs> yeah, they had uh, they had a bunch of them, if I recall correctly, from the trivia of the movie, uh, so that they could wreck a lot of cars. 
Mm-hmm. Um, John Carpenter is very good with practical effects, and he was an excellent choice to direct this movie. And this is right in the middle of him like demonstrating that he's a good effects director, too. So I can see why he was maybe tapped for this project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, watching watching the car rebuild itself was was delightful because it just looked looks slick as hell. Do you guys have any theories on how they uh, accomplished that shot? Actually, I mean, oh, it was re- yeah. reverse. I, yeah, yeah they, but they just like but they just put like I I, th- I felt like some of that might have been. I think it's like a little bit of stop motion in there as well, but uh, in reverse, just crushing the car in reverse. Right, mm-hmm. yeah, but there's some there was there's was some little bits that just like yeah I don't know it's, it's like the angle of the shot seemed like uh, almost impossible that they were <laughs> that they were they were hiding whatever it was they were crushing the car with. Sorry, Glenn, did you have uh, an insight? I was just gonna confirm that in, yes, they it was a reverse of the car getting crushed. Okay, <laughs> simple as yeah. That. It's, it's just tricky because we're you know we're recording remotely. You can I hear I hear four voices all go and someone backs off. Yeah, yeah. The 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 effects look sweet. I also did like the the rock and roll touch. Now hearing the framing device of the novel that Glenna mentioned, I almost wish there was more like fifties rock and roll. I know, like, like was because it always sounded like it was coming out of the car, and to have it maybe like permeate the soundtrack a little bit more. I would like, I really, I just I liked when the rock and roll was playing. It was like a nice haunting touch, and I feel like they could have again turned it up a little. Yeah. Or like, really had you like associate like what you know ones you really know the words to like oh shit like if they're they're late it's, I'm. I'm gonna run over my baby tonight. Oh no! Like <laughs> you wanted, you wanted it to be a little bit more baby driver. Yeah, a little. I think yeah, a little bit. Yeah, where the car murders to music. Yeah, <laughs> I think that would have worked. I mean, like, like Scott says, like that there, there, there doesn't seem to be um, enough uh, action um, to. I don't know for this movie to work just solely as a horror film, and there, and there's not enough. Um, character development to warrant it being a real solid uh, suspense film. Um, I did. I didn't mind the um, character arc of, of Arnie Cunningham. I thought. I thought most of it worked okay. There is, like we mentioned earlier, some places where it skips ahead too quickly. Um, but I. But overall, I kind of. I that was part of the. That was the movie. Part of the movie that I enjoyed the most was just his descent into darkness. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I definitely keep most of that. Um, I just have more issues with uh, the characters that were surrounding him. Yeah, the movie does the right thing by letting us languish in Arnie's transformation, but it. It doesn't. You're right. It doesn't spend enough time making us care about the people around him and how his changing is affecting them. Yeah. I did like the casting. I thought the casting of the the main three were pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I was... <laughs> the the tongue in, in cheek, and I don't mean that as the metaphor, I mean that, like, literally, they were putting their tongues in their cheek a lot, and that, <laughs> that it was an acting choice, and I was very distracted by it. It happened... Mm-hmm. Arnie and, uh, and Dennis did it a lot. Hmm. I did not notice that. Like when they're thinking, they're doing the thing of like, yeah, yeah, pushing. Yeah. Hmm. And I think like I guess I, now, I, now that you say it, I can see it back where he's like standing over him at the hospital, like, yeah, you would say that, wouldn't you? And he's got his tongue yeah, sticking out. Yeah, I'm jaw. fairly certain that Arnie Cunningham doesn't do it until he's like cooler, so he's sort of mimicking Dennis. So it. I, it works on that level, but it, it's also, I don't know, I just like the, it was so prevalent for me that I kept getting distracted by it. Uh, any hard cuts, anything that you were like, that just needs to go wholesale. Uh, <laughs> didn't work, don't have it. How about um, the continually rejected girl? Oh, yeah. What was she there for? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what purpose she served in the plot. Yeah, I actually I have a way to use her in one of my fixes to actually give her something to do. But yeah, she absolutely does nothing other than like get turned down by Dennis. Yep. And it's like if it's a, if it's played for laughs, like I, I don't get it. <laughs> I I, su- I suppose it shows. 
I guess one possibility is it shows how enamored Dennis is with Lee. I guess. Is that its entire purpose? Maybe. I guess it shows that Dennis is desirable. Like, he's he's not like Arnie. Oh, yeah. And that he's like, no girl would ever go out with him. It's more like, oh, this other girl is all over him, so Lee rejecting him is a big deal. Oh, yeah, that's that's unfortunate, but you're probably right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, like, he's got luck. He's got options. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of like a a big thing of... of uh, movies from the you know uh from the 70s to the 80s and 90s where where some dude character has got to be like irresistible where just like all he's just there and on all that all women do is just sort of like make googly eyes at him through the entire film yeah it's uh it's one of those like it's like revenge of the nerds or any of those other like you just you gotta be like god damn it the past but also not far enough in the past as we all like to would to admit speaking of which i mean this movie's pretty gross towards women right yep Yep. i was i was gonna say my hard cut would be all the sexism (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i don't i don't think it's it's almost like a woman rarely appears on screen where she isn't like horribly objectified and not and not just objectified but like talked about in a gross way <laughs> where yeah yeah i believe the line about lee was you can tell her mind is good but she's got the body of a slut yeah that was weird Ugh. yeah <laughs> I, <laughs> what does it even mean yeah uh, i don't want to get into it it just well i like i'd want to get into breaking down what it means but i that line really stuck out like yeah i mean i i, I realized that you know this this movie was not made today so there's always going to be a certain amount of uh things that you know don't jive with our current cultural sensibilities but like this one felt a little extreme uh, for the well, time period to be fair oh. to the movie and barely <clears throat> um the movie does not show arnie and dennis's objectification of women as a positive thing and weirdly, Arnie's most meaningful relationship in the movie is with a literal object, so that he has that he has projected femininity onto. Yeah. So, uh, like, I feel like there's, I feel like that's part of the message of the movie, but maybe it's just kind of lost in the in the cut somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Like it's like a lot of that stuff is seems like it's supposed to be played for laughs when they're when they're making these crude jokes. Yeah, about that's the women fair. around them. That that's um, a very fair criticism. I, I think you're. I think you're right that you know it's it's in some places it's not treated as as positive. But I I don't think that um, I didn't get the sense ever that the movie was trying to. Um, defend women or or denounce that kind of attitude towards women at yeah, all maybe maybe i'm maybe i'm giving the movie a, the benefit of the doubt that it does not deserve yeah i mean it's certainly within arnie's um character that he's he's a piece of shit and obviously he's gonna treat women like garbage um yeah but like yeah but the, like yeah dennis and his buddies aren't much better no yeah that's kind of the thing because you would you would have to have dennis as sort of like the antithesis of that um, yeah, and he gets any, you know, he, he, but he sort of uh, flirts with Lee in the same sort of weird, sort of sleazy way that everybody else treats her. So I will say, and this is from like me reading the Wikipedia article back the first time I watched this movie, but uh, I recall that they added a lot of swearing and uh, quote unquote inappropriate talk in order to secure an R rating. Because uh, it wasn't violent enough, uh-huh. and otherwise they would have received a PG thirteen, and they would have thought that no one would have wanted to go see a horror movie that wasn't rated R. Wow, that's kind of quite the reversal. Eh? These days, like you, you yeah. can't get anyone to make an R rated movie anymore because they feel like it's not worth the box office. Yeah, that's yeah, and what a what a sloppy, shitty way to be like. This needs to be an R. Let's just call some women a slut and yeah. just put an R rating on it. Ugh. Is that yeah, why he could, is that why he says shitter some... all the time? Is that where that comes? No, from? No, that's from the book. Okay, 
Shitter is because he shit on his dashboard. Like they're the shitters. They shat on his dashboard. No, <laughs> not even. <laughs> so I actually, I'm not. Jo- I'm, not I'm glad I got a laugh, but I wasn't joking. I assume that's why he kept calling him shitters. In Liam's no, defense, I, he, I also thought that was the case. No, because no. the the old man calls um says shitters right. Like it was like a thing where the for some reason it it has something to do with a car. So in the book. You actually meet the old man who owns the car. You don't meet his brother. Uh, I think. Oh, I can't remember now. But he talked about how this this uh, this brother of his, the guy who owns the car, called everyone shitters. And they're like, that's a weird thing to call people. They're like, yep, but that's what he called them. Specifically the guy who owned Christine. So mm. when Arnie starts talking that way, it's sort of this sign of possession that he's being possessed by that guy's ghost. That's sweet. That that would have made way more sense. <laughs> yeah. It's a plot point a, in the what book. What a nice way to use Yeah, what a use, nice way to use language and character to uh, establish character like things about a character. Oh, so so like in the book it's more intimated that it's that it's the the old the old dude old owner's ghost and not that the car itself is haunted. Exactly. Oh, okay. Which I understand getting rid of that for simplicity's sake. Um, I kind of like that ambiguity and, uh, again, potentially spoiling what I'm going to be saying in the second half, uh, I do have not necessarily a fix, but a suggestion that kind of lines up with that. Well, actually, I think that's as good an opportunity as any for us to, uh, head to a break and come back with our fixes for Christine. This episode of I Have Some Notes is brought to you by The Shared Mic. Everyone has a story. Woody, he had a Toy Story. Scarlett Johansson, she had a marriage story. The Jets and the Sharks, <laughs> you know it. They had a West Side story. And the narratives of Edmontonians provide a rich patchwork of experiences that make for great stories. That's what the shared mic is all about. That's what makes Edmonton a beautiful place to call home. So says the shared mic, and damned if I don't agree. Shared Mike is a local podcast by age-friendly Edmonton. The Shared Mike Conversations for the Ages is providing a platform for Edmontonians of different ages and backgrounds to share their stories. Listen to riveting intergenerational conversations on topics including cultivating friendships, building careers, exploring virtual theater, and volunteerism, and more. I said and twice because it's just and more. There's so much more. The Shared Mike is available on Apple. Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Where I get my podcasts delivered every Wednesday by an owl named Ferdinand, and he brings them in like a greasy grocery store bag, throws them in my window, and I don't tip. He knows why. Uh, the Shared Mic is brought to you by the Edmonton Seniors Coordinating Council and the City of Edmonton, capital C, City of Edmonton, signed and approved. The Shared Mic. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We're talking about the 1983 film, Christine. We're going to fix it up like the old junker that it is. Uh, how, how are we going to fix this movie, gang? Well, if I can get us started. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like this movie, as I said in the first half, doesn't go far enough. Um, because the movie is ultimately, it's about this toxic relationship between Arnie and Christine. And the problem is that all of Christine's victims are jerks who kind of are completely unsympathetic. And if you want the movie to really work, um, I feel like that's act two. Like act one is introducing us to Arnie, introducing us to Christine, introducing us to his friends. And then act two is Christine starts to act to protect Arnie. And Arnie comes to rely on Christine and their relationship begins to uh, begins to devolve and become more and more toxic. He becomes more aggressive and it culminates in Christine killing his enemies for him. But then act three needs to be Christine becoming more proactive in eliminating any threat to their relationship. And that means that Christine needs to start racking up a body count of innocent people too. And I think she needs to go after Arnie's parents. And I think she needs to go after Arnie's friends. And it's at that juncture that his friends realize we need to stop this. Like we need to do something as opposed to 
Christine just kills a bunch of people who kind of deserved it. And then his friends are like, mm, I think maybe it's the car affecting him. Let's wreck the car. Yeah, I think that that checks out uh, for sure. Um, and I, I think it was something you maybe even discussed before, like when we were just chatting about this beforehand. But I, I like the idea also uh, that uh, maybe there is because you always the the car is always blacked out. You can't see who is driving it, and I feel like playing up the mystery for the audience that we don't know if it's Arnie doing this or the car. Uh, and it's uh, it's not until Arnie is dead that we go, oh shit, no, it's the car. And then it might actually made the car kind of scary if there was some question over whether it was Arnie's derangement and and homicidal tendencies or an actual demon car. Yeah, I like I get that the selling point of this movie is demon car, and so you want to get into the the car is clearly supernatural stuff ASAP. But I feel like the movie could have worked better on a psychological level if his friends really don't know if Arnie's gone off the deep end and he's the ones committing the murders. Uh, more than just, like, the police suspect him, but, like, even his friends are like, well, Arnie's enemies have all ended up dead. The car's been seen doing some weird stuff. Has Arnie lost it? And it's And then save that reveal for the audience, too, that when Arnie dies, they think the threat is over, but then the car continues to be out for their blood. And then we see the car do some supernatural stuff. And they're like, oh, my God, the car is a monster. I think that would have been an interesting reveal. But that may also be more of a modern filmmaking uh, like concept. Does that make sense? Yeah, even if it wasn't a reveal for the audience, I think if it was a reveal to the two characters, Lee and Dennis, I think it would have worked better. I just kind of like it, too, is like if we leave it completely ambiguous all the way through of, you know, whether it's a haunted car or not because i i i think that um i i I don't know if maybe if if it's a reveal at the end that there is like a big haunted car demon car or whatever whether that um takes away from arnie's descent into darkness a little bit maybe like if you want it to be like a really good character study of like this this guy who was um, bullied and had no self-esteem and self-confidence, and his com- you know complete descent into you know darkness. Um, then, sort of, I think leaving it ambiguous at the at the end might make it a, might make that narrative work a little bit better, or at least you know it might be a little bit more fun. So I'd say like one, I can see it both ways. Like one is kind of like really fun, sort of action horror the other way is kind of like a tight suspense film yeah i think the takeaway here is either way don't give arnie an alibi that the characters and the audience know to be true yeah it also gives you more time a more you it gives you a better more what am i trying to say here (laughs) it gives the um, cat and mouse chase between the cop and arnie a little bit more weight and perhaps the ability to have a little bit more fun with that. For the record, I think that the car should have also targeted the cop in the third act. Yeah. Mm. Like mm-hmm. any, any threat to, uh, to Arnie, uh, Christine should have been, or, or more specifically to her ability to continue to possess Arnie should have been something she was proactively running down. Like, I think the third act should begin with Arnie's parents dying in a mysterious car accident and his friends are like horrified and devastated for him. And he's just like, meh, I guess now I can park my car in the driveway. Meh. And they're like, oh my God, like what is wrong with him? And like, it just escalates from there. Right. What do you think about, um, using Arnie's relationship with women to further drive his, his madness? Like, I kind of like the idea of him, um, instead of suddenly getting the girl or whatever uh, out of nowhere, I, I kind of like the idea of like even though he's more confident, seemingly more confident, that he continually gets rejected anyway, mm. and that kind of like continues well, his his spiral because like I, I that's like actually the, sort of my fix. The, the the when I said I had something for the blonde lady to do, mm-hmm. that was that was sort of my 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 fix was was you have him start to get a little jerkish and crazy, uh, and he is 
gives him the confidence to to ask out Lee and get Lee's attention. And she goes with him for a while, like Varek too, let's say, until he becomes way too big a jerk. And then she rejects him, uh, which just pushes him, the rejection pushes him farther into it. Uh, And then that blonde lady who has been rejected by Dennis for the whole movie now becomes this sort of like you know, extra vapid person that he can go to and start, you know, her, and then she can be a victim of the car, uh, to keep Lee alive, but to still have Christine kill another, like a woman that she's jealous of. Um, and it would give that uh, blonde woman more to do. So that was my, that was my one big fix was yeah. Have, have him lose Lee and then get that blonde lady killed. Yes, yeah, I uh, I remember you saying that off air. I sorry if I stepped on that a little bit. No, no, it was perfect. T- I think the I think the, uh, the uh, like the way that I'm driving it, I think is a little bit more. And I mentioned this off air as well. Is 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 building it more as sort of like toxic masculinity, uh, like a whole toxic max- masculinity narrative, uh, including sort of like the weird incel stuff. <laughs> you know, we're hot off the heels of talking about. Um, uh, you know those feel the social man. media doing you feel it feels good man yeah and stuff like that so that's kind of where my mind went with it i think uh to that end it would have been nice to know a little bit more about arnie's friends uh i think i would like more information about dennis and more information about lee uh more more time with them on screen i think uh, yeah 100 percent because their their relationship to arnie is is how we understand his descent right like it's yeah that's that's definitely a big missing piece to the puzzle in the movie that is and we'll care more about them when scott's version terrorizes them and tries to kill them more for sure absolutely like uh, when if they're in danger in the third act and we've already seen some of the other ancillary characters around arnie like his his new blonde girlfriend and his parents get targeted and killed like we can, and and we see maybe like the cop get run down but survive like suddenly there's a very real threat here and they it also drives them to act at that juncture right like they need to talk to arnie so they arrange to kind of corner him at the garage and like that just leads to them having a confrontation with christine right something that and this is me being like um i have this note from the book they did it really good in the book i want it to be on the movie no that's i do that all the time it's just Um, that i haven't actually read the book this time so in the final act uh where they had dennis driving uh a front loader instead in the in the book he rents like a monster truck like a big truck that's hot pink and says petunia on the side and that to me is just such a fun visual that i really am sad uh, oh they no that's also <laughs> that's also perfect because a bright pink monster truck that says petunia on the side is such a slap in the face of the toxic masculinity that greg is going after yeah exactly like, like because it's it's the antithesis of christine who's this like hot red muscle car mm-hmm. oh it's perfect i love that visual I yeah. started what a missed opportunity too for the movie to have that kind of sequence. I guess I don't know. Maybe it was. Is it a possibility that it was just too expensive for a they film in this area? All their money on all of the Plymouth Furies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They now like we don't have any monster truck money. God dang it! I mean, if a teenager can rent a monster truck, you can rent a monster truck. <laughs> uh. Also, also to that end, something that they didn't play up in the film. They sort of played it for like three seconds to add to the stakes of that final climax is Dennis is working a stick shift with a broken leg that didn't seem to slow him down at all. I was a little unclear to the level of his injury because it seemed to, he seemed to be on crunch on crutches one moment and then not on the, at the other and and back and forth. Was because you missed the timestamps. Not (laughs) sure. Yeah. (laughs) But again, in the book, what happens is that the truck that they get isn't an automatic, it's a standard transmission. And so the description of him struggling to use his broken leg to work the clutch, like he ends up fashioning this like weird broomstick to try and work the clutch uh, with something else, but he can't. So he has to use his broken leg and that just increases the stakes. Damn. Yeah. 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 That would have been useful in this very boring climax that I hated. 
Yeah, this uh, you commented on the climax being boring, and yeah, I think a pink monster truck would have really uh, added quite yeah. a bit. But I, I even when we were talking about the, the the toxic masculinity thing, I remembered my comment from earlier that I want to make. Um, when it started, that's like even with all the kind of like shitty sexist talk that was happening in the car between the two of them, and then the way the John Travolta bully is like bullying him. I started this with like trying to give it like a reading of like, oh, this is a tale of toxic masculinity and a toxic relationship. Uh, and then it just like peters out. It really doesn't like if if there was any of that intent by the filmmakers, I think it it really falls flat. But I, I even yeah, there's so it starts with that as as a promise and it does not deliver on it. Yeah, like like I said in the first half, it doesn't quite it doesn't quite get to the end zone. <laughs> yeah, on like both its themes and its teenager murdering. Yeah, which is why I think the movie is just fine. Like it's it's. So much of the acting and the directing props up what is a very thin plot in this movie. And from the sounds of it, from what Glenn is telling us, it's because they left quite a bit of the book on the on the cutting room floor, which might have made the movie a lot more exciting and have a lot more meaning. I also, like, I think it, it does work with him kind of, like, descending into madness. Uh, and, and I think there's something to be said to just leave it and maybe turn it, like, play it up more. But I was also kind of expecting there to be a bit of a, like, give and take. Um, in, I don't expect the car to, like, talk to him, but I was sort of prepared for more of a Little Shop of Horrors vibe where it's like, you gotta go get me these victims and I'll get you the girl and the and the confidence and the, you know. Yeah, um, there's, a, there's a brief moment when the car, after the car is first destroyed and it begins to remake itself where there appears to be that kind of communication between the two, where he tells the car to, to show me uh, what you're capable of essentially. And the, and the car, you've got this really cool, creepy shot of the, you know, the lights going on and um, Arnie is silhouetted against the the car. Um, So I I know what you mean, Liam, like it, like I I felt like the, the movie was much more alive in that moment than it is in other parts of it. But yeah, maybe maybe having it be like, because the whole point of Little Shop of Horrors is you watch Seymour like struggle with the reality of what he's doing, whereas Arnie doesn't seem to ever s- struggle with what's happening to him. It just sort of happens to him. Um, I I kind of like the idea that he's not struggling with it though, because that yeah, feeds that's into what I'm saying. Whole, yeah, that that feeds into the toxic the. Let me rephrase that. The, the toxic relationship yeah. and the the effect it has on his friends. Yeah. Uh, and so him being complicit in it and him being ha- like happy with it, like he he is happy and he's on top of the world. Why should he care about like his former friends and who like he's he's now better than? Why should he care about having a relationship with someone who's inferior to Christine? Like I'm I'm on board with him being a hundred percent in on this on this relationship with Christine. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it, it, it this and Little Shop of Horrors are two different stories. Um, though this could rock and roll music numbers. Well, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> in Little Shop, Seymour, it, it's about Seymour's temptation, right? And him constantly failing to not give in to that temptation until it's too late. In this case, Arnie like a hundred percent signs up to the first temptation and doesn't need to be tempted anymore. Like he's he's down to clown, and we're we're off to the races. Yeah. Yeah, and there, I, I don't mind that it's it's easy for uh, Arnie to be seduced by it. Um, you know, it, it, I think it works with like well, the the kind of setup that we get for Arnie in the in the way that he's he's pushed around. Like he like he is threatened with with a, a knife right off, almost right off the bat with, by the bullies. So like there's a there's a certain amount of like helplessness there that you would expect someone to to reach out to the first lifeline that comes along well it also like the fact that he a hundred percent is uh susceptible to christine speaks to his weakness as well which underscores the the kind of toxic masculinity that he's shrouded himself in because at the end of the day it's it's all paper thin and he's really just the same weak nerd he always was right yeah, they would, that would even they would even suggest that like there there could be uh, not necessarily, but there could be a fun sort of like mea culpa moment at the end where there's a, a recognition from Arnie that he's 
uh, lost control of, you know, the the car itself, you know, like, it, like he could, he could, you know, he could frame it that he's, that he feels like he's in control the entire time until he's not. I, even, I even if he's never, that. even if he never, he's never, he never reaches the point of redemption, you know. And he uh, shouldn't. Uh, I yeah. don't think the movie works if Arnie is redeemable in the end. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah. he he and Christine need to both let both need to die at the end. Like that's that's the inevitable conclusion of their toxic relationship is that it destroys yeah. both of them. And I think that's just another case for we need to hear if 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 Arnie can't be redeemed, we need to care and learn more about his friends. Oh, ag- agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Glenna, any other any other thoughts, Glenna? parting thoughts on on how we might improve this movie uh i think we've kind of covered everything that i've been thinking of you've you've all been doing such a lovely job i've just been listening to your wonderful analyses <laughs> what a ter- what a terrible thing to do to the guest on our part on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay i i didn't have a whole lot of notes besides i really wanted to care more about dennis and lee um and something yeah. actually Again, pulling from the book, because why not? I'm here to be that nerd. Uh, mm-hmm. Something that might have been interesting is to have a voiceover narration from Dennis's point of view, uh, for example. Since the book was written from... is Two-thirds of the book is written from his perspective. That might solve some of the time skip issues. I'm, I'm worried that that turns into a little more show-don't or uh that turns tell, a don't more into yeah. tell don't show but like it would it would give us something during those like time jumps where we could have dennis be like uh, i didn't see arnie for like two months while i was in hospital but all the news i heard was was bad and uh it seemed like he was getting more and more into that car and less and less into everybody else around him yeah, just very know, like sparingly. Just something like that. Like that's that's just off the top of my head. Almost just instead of where the timestamps are. Yeah, like you could you could have played with that. Again, I'm I'm worried it turns a little bit into tell don't show, but like mm-hmm. if you use it just like as a little bit of a framing device here and there, I think you could get away with it. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, just a thought. Yeah. Yeah, it's always difficult. I think for you know to adapt a a book to a, a screenplay especially if the if the book tends to live inside someone's head for for most of it you know there's there's a lot of you I mean you can either make the choice to to create a narrator or you you know you've got to be really skilled in like um how you're shorthanding visually how the character is feeling when they're feeling it uh it's yeah it's a it's a real skill to be able to do that on, in a screenplay i think our uh, listeners also chimed in with some fabulous comments. Uh, thank you for those who participated. Uh, as always, we uh, solicit those comments on our Facebook and Twitter, and we really appreciate it when you contribute, because then we get to read them on the show. Uh, Cinematological says, uh, the only way to fix Christine is to give the car a main accent. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is Robin over at Cinematological suggesting that this should become a talking car movie? Is he <laughs> suggesting that this is evil Night Rider? <laughs> or Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, you know, and like, then we get musical point, numbers. At this point, exactly right. You turn it into a musical. Colin would be so proud of us right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> he always suggested making the movie a musical. <laughs> it would be pretty amazing. I have to admit that um, when we first broached the idea of doing Christine, I thought it was about a talking car. And it, I was—I did not realize that it wasn't until I read the the brief plot summary. <laughs> Would you say that you were disappointed, or just like, oh, okay? Oh, I think so. Or maybe I was like wrapping it up in other Stephen King films or something like that. I don't know why I thought the car talked. I just did. Yeah, because the cars don't talk in Maximum Overdrive either. No, they don't. <laughs> Maximum Overdrive is definitely another movie that we should queue up for the show. Yeah. Nathan Martin commented, yeah, this movie was great. I have no fixes because it doesn't need any. Incorrect. We just spent a half hour talking about how it needs fixes. <laughs> Nathan goes on to comment, uh, I mean, you can always add The Rock because we know The Rock is perfect, but at this time he'd be like a kid. So, that's fair. I'd watch The Kid Rock in a movie. 
Wait, I just want to see a movie called. Idea. I just want to see a movie called The Kid Rock now. Oh, I don't know. Do we want to see a Kid Rock movie? Do John, we want if to John see Carpenter that? directs it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but can you imagine The Rock in the bully role? <laughs> yeah. Since they were and casting full-grown people, like, men. The people's elbow and the rock bottom. Be fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I can actually see the a young rock in the Dennis role, TBH. Oh, yeah, football yeah, player. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, no, legit. That's that's a good and, call, actually. And like really likable, and and not like not the asshole football player, but the 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 charming, likable one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Nathan's third comment here: uh, There are some John Carpenter movies that you could fix, but this one works. I mean, maybe I'd mm. fix what George is wearing when he sells Christine to Arnie, because I don't know what that is. Yeah, we don't know what that is either, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> if, if if anyone wants to send us a mes- message and let us know, we'd appreciate it. My bet's highlight equipment. Uh, Andrew Craig uh, says, This is a John Carpenter movie. An early John Carpenter movie. There is nothing wrong with any earlier John, any early John Carpenter movie. Ghost to Mars? Sure. Christine, how dare you? <laughs> I said this up front. John Carpenter is not the weak link in this movie. He is a very competent director. He brings like the full array of his skill set in that time period to bear here. Um, it's it's like the edit and the script that are letting this movie down. Yeah. I think that's what we've yeah. kind of settled on here. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Uh, this comment, I love our next, this next comment here. Uh, Glenna, you were, you were saying how like you're here to, to point out the uh, uh, intricacies and nuances of the book. Uh, well, Louise Bourne comments, uh, I do know that Christine, the Plymouth Fury Belvedere, wasn't originally red and white. They came off the line as only beige with gold trim. We had one. Understandably, painting the car red was a good choice to make her evil. They only had two doors, which was different than Stephen King's book saying that it had four doors. It had a powerful <laughs> engine, so the car was a great choice for this movie. I love it. That's <laughs> This is the kind of pedantic nerdery that I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean that in the most loving way, by the way. Oh, (laughs) absolutely. I I, I like the idea that a a car with a less powerful engine would be less good at killing people. (laughs) (laughs) I just like the idea of someone pushing up their glasses and being like, actually, in the book, the the car has four doors. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Um, Nobody gets laid in a four-door car. Come on, Stephen King. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to make that awkward transition over the seats. Oh, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, fabulous. Well, that was uh, that was Christine. Um, it sure was. It sure was. It sure uh, was. Thank you uh, very much, Glenna, for joining us uh, for another episode. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was always lo- always a pleasure, fellas. Uh, indeed. And uh, anything uh, anything you want to plug? Um, probably just our, uh, uh, we're part of the sketch comedy group called The Debutantes, and we have our videos up on the debutantes.ca. Or if you go to Debutantes Comedy on our YouTube channel, you can find all our videos there. Yeah, we have uh, we have new stuff coming out all the time. Uh, I, we're pretty, pretty proud of what we do. I uh, very much enjoy making comedy with Glenna and The Debutantes. Yeah, your last few skits I enjoyed quite a bit. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, in terms of uh, other things you can check out, more episodes of I Have Some Notes and more things from uh, the Alberta Podcast Network. You can dial into all of our episodes on your favorite podcast app or by heading to IHaveSomeNotes.com. If you like the show, convince your friends to subscribe. If they resist, seal their phones and subscribe on their behalf. I guarantee they'll thank you for it later. And if you're searching for new podcasts to add to your queue, you can head over to albertapodcastnetwork.com, where you'll find scores of other great shows, including Modern Manhood, Press Start to Join, and my other podcast, yes, I have a plug, uh, (laughs) The Read Along, uh, which is also available there. Uh, We just started a new novel. We're only a few chapters in. This is a good jumping on point, so check it out if you've been holding off. Otherwise, you can uh, find it and everything else at albertapodcastnetwork.com. It's been some time since you shilled your own sh- your other show on the on the podcast, Scott. It's to to be fair, I recently, <laughs> in my defense, I just recently shilled this show on my other podcast, too. So this is just tit for yeah. tat. 
Yeah, turnabout is fair play. Totally. Um, we uh, we record shows every two weeks, um, so we are going to for our next film turn it over to you, the listeners. You are going to pick our next movie. Uh, so send us a, uh, a message on uh, uh, Facebook or Twitter and uh, let us know what you'd like like us to do. Uh, we'll take the best suggestions, throw up a poll, and uh, let you decide which w- movie we're going to do. Yeah, I think uh, we all need to go. Uh, Glenn and I are going to go watch The Thing. You're going to go watch They Live. Uh, yep. Um, I just saw with- Boogie Nights got dropped onto Netflix, and I haven't seen that. So That's that's the, that's the not a John Carpenter movie. <laughs> nope, but I've seen all the good John Carpenter movies. So. All right, well, go, go watch one of the bad ones. Uh, <laughs> sweet. Uh, well, until then, I'm Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Uh, wash your hands, Black Lives Matter, and keep watching the skies. Alberta's forests matter to all of us. That's why Alberta's forest industry works to keep them sustainable now and for future generations. By planning 200 years ahead, helping control the spread of fire and disease, and planting and nurturing two trees for every one harvested, we keep our forests standing strong. To learn more about how our forests take care of us and how we take care of them, visit loveabforests.com.